Hey, Amanda. Hi, Michael. So you like WordPress, right? Absolutely. In fact, we've kind of made it sort of a big part of what we do. You've taught, you've written the book on WordPress, um, <laughs> and we've taught some courses, and we use it, yeah? Yes. Okay. How do you feel about JavaScript? I'm making a face at you because I know exactly where you got this from. <laughs> I had a mini. Answer the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that JavaScript is very useful, and I made a website in school about Schrodinger's cat with JavaScript, <laughs> but I have trouble with it. And I understand it powers the web, but it is extremely difficult for me to learn. How would you feel if all WordPress themes in the future were written with JavaScript? Well, I'm an HTML, CSS person, and I assume that's not going away. The HTML, and CSS part aren't. <laughs> that would be the part that I work with. So what we're talking about is that recently on December 8th, WordPress 4.4 landed, and any of you out there who are using WordPress probably got the prompt or maybe it even auto-updated for you, but this was a big update, not just because of like what was included with it, but because of sort of like the news that happened around that, because just a few days prior... Or after, I, I kind of, I got my dates all kind of muddled, but in the general vicinity, there was WordCamp US. In Philly. Did you go or watch any of the streams or anything? No, but there's people up on the Facebook group, I think WordPress and Librarians, and they were all trying to convince everyone to go. Yeah, I saw that, and I think it was supposed to be like pretty well attended. Like I had a couple friends from WordPress Miami go, and I was just kind of like watching in their hashtag and stuff like that. But there was, like, one big thing that was launched there, or announced. And that was the announcement of Calypso. Do you know what Calypso is? It is a JavaScript-written user interface, which is lightning fast, I believe. Like, it's the whole new front end for WordPress.com, yes. right? Yes, but the back end is still PHP and MySQL. Like, okay, so this is where you have more insight than I do. So um, I don't, like, run anything on WordPress.com. I, I, like, everything that I've done is, it, it's been a long time since I've had a blog hosted there, but everything I use now is kind of like the self-install. And Calypso is not there for the self-install, but it is the new, it's the name of the new interface. Can you, can you kind of, like, describe it, like, paint a picture with your words? Well, so if you're familiar with the... I guess, original flavor of WordPress, which is the dashboard. On the left-hand column there, you have your stuff like, you know, you have your posts and your appearance and your settings. Now, with Calypso, instead, it's going with the idea that you have maybe 20 blogs on WordPress.com, and you have to switch between them. And they've gone to this extremely light blue interface, which I find very difficult to read. And Interesting. Yeah, and this article that you've showed me has this lady who's a trainer of WordPress.com, and her students are saying, I hate it, they find it too confusing, I don't like it. That's cool. I haven't heard, like, a lot of um, chatter about, like, specifically by those who would, I don't know, know to criticize the color scheme and stuff, but... um. Yeah, that's kind of, I've heard, I've heard mixed things. I've heard that it's beautiful and it's useful, but you know what? Maybe we should back up real quick. So what happened at WordCamp US was that I think it was uh, Matt Mullenweg, who is at Automatic, and those who are 
playing along. Automatic is a large company that runs WordPress.com, um, and they also contribute hugely to the WordPress open source core. They created like Jetpack, and they just acquired WooCommerce, and they acquired, you know, they're they're a big WordPress oriented company. They had the trademark for WordPress, I believe, and they just signed, they signed that off to, you know, a WordPress foundation. So WordPress itself remains open source. But um, Automatic is a big player, and where Automatic moves, WordPress tends to follow. At WordCamp US, which was the first of its kind, it's uh, every, most major cities have their own WordCamp. I am one of the organizers at WordCamp Miami, and these are, you know, free not-for-profit conferences for the WordPress community, which is huge because WordPress just broke the 25% milestone, and it's now greater than, it's behind more than 25% of websites on the internet. So the community is huge, and major cities have WordCamps, but WordCamp US is the first of its kind, which is a, it's the American Library Association of WordPress, right? It's the, it's the annual meeting of all communities or those who can you know attend matt made this announcement about calypso and calypso is a couple of things first kind of without warning anybody it is the whole new interface where everybody who uses a blog on wordpress.com and like quick aside can you go back to the old dashboard or how does um that work yes it's still there oh okay or and calypso is a uh, single page application it's a javascript ui it's a, or yeah it's a javascript software as a service that uses the rest api that is part of the very ubiquitous Jetpack plugin that Automatic is behind. And it uses that API to talk between all of the WordPress.com sites that you may be a part of and Calypso. And so basically, I mean, you can maintain all of your sites, post your blogs, whatever, from this interface. So, um, so that's pretty cool. So he announced a Calypso, and he announced with it, um, he, there's a statement that was kind of rolled all up in there and was that, WordPress developers should start to learn how to write JavaScript. And what Calypso means, and we've seen it in the past by those of us who have been using APIs to interface with our WordPress sites past, but th what Calypso is, is a another major milestone that signals the direction that the future of WordPress is going into. So. Calypso is a JavaScript application that talks to WordPress. It's how you maintain the WordPress backend, and it uses the REST API. WordPress 4.4, um, which was which went live on December 8th, included the infrastructure for the WP REST API. This is still a plugin that you can install, and it basically makes all of your WordPress content available through JSON, so that your app on the App Store or whatever can pull content from your WordPress site and, and so on. Or you can push content from here or or you could write something on this website and it gets pushed over to this website. It just it basically makes your, um, it takes your little silo of WordPress and it opens its doors. It's a create once, publish everywhere tool. So the infrastructure for that was laying in WordPress 4.4, which makes like the endpoints of this, these APIs um, easier to create. And I realize that I'm getting kind of jargony and technical here, but what this does is signal and lay the framework. So it's not just like big talk around a third-party application. It's a big talk around a third-party application called Calypso with the framework for how other applications like that 
will be made in the future pushed into core, pushed into every version of up-to-date WordPress there is, which is behind 25% of the internet. So that's the news that came out of WordCamp US. We see, like like the, the article Amanda is referring to is this, this one that we'll link to in the show notes, but it's, we see a lot of posts kind of like this where um, WordPress experts share their insight about the new Calypso, what it means, where it's going, what the signals about WordPress, are people going to like it, etc. And this is a big deal because Amanda wrote WordPress for libraries. We just had Chad Hayfley here a couple episodes ago talk about his other book, WordPress for Libraries. We teach courses on WordPress for libraries. We use WordPress for our libraries. This is going to impact all of us who work on the LibWeb. So it's a good topic. All right, so how do you think it's going to impact? Because since right now it is for WordPress.com, there is a plugin, I believe, so you can start getting some of the functionality over on a self-serve WordPress. So how do you think this is going to affect library web people? Calypso is only for WordPress.com because Automatic controls WordPress.com, and they can flip the switch on whatever they want. They don't have to really ask permission. But it's not just WordPress.com that has the infrastructure that makes Calypso work. All WordPress websites now, all like that are up to date to Word 4.4, now have the guts that are required for robust APIs. And like I said, what this means is that it's going to basically free up the content. Brad Frost has a really good, uh, really good maxim when he and others put together this. Uh, future-friendly web design, uh, I don't know, what is, it, what is it, like a constitution or whatever? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was years ago, and he, and he says, free up your content to go anywhere because it's going to go everywhere. And this is what the APIs are. So people don't really need to know right now, anyway, what, what an API is or even be able to explain what it stands for. But what they should know is that basically it's a switch that lets your content freeze your content up from the site right now when you create a wordpress theme or you buy a theme or you're working on it the content like all the words all the posts live in the database and the php of the theme present that to the user so there's kind of a tunnel between the database and the screen that somebody's looking at and that tunnel is php for you to do anything with wordpress themes whether you're modifying an existing one or rolling your own you got to be uh you got to be semi fluent but not really fluent in php just so you don't break stuff what the api lets you do is you no longer have to rely on php you don't have to be a php developer to create a wordpress theme you can use wordpress just for the content management system but then you know your website can be built in the flavor of your choice and a lot of that is going to be javascript but it could be ruby it doesn't matter anything that can grab the content from the api can do it in fact the really powerful stuff is that the database doesn't even have to be on the same server as your WordPress site or sites. So you could have a thousand different sites all around on different servers and different boxes, all in different languages. And by languages, I mean programming languages, but regular like human languages too. Why not? Um, they could all be powered from a single WordPress database. And that's what this announcement. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, that's a lot to think about. And for some odd reason, I keep thinking of GitHub pages, Jekyll and, and stuff like that, where people like that because it's really lightweight, but it doesn't really have a content management system on 
the back end. Yeah. So I was wondering, like, if something like that would. Do you think that would work? The the way that static site generators work, which is GitHub Pages and Jekyll and others, GitHub Pages uses, or you can use like Octopress on that, which is a Jekyll flavor. Um, what the reason those are so fast is because you don't have to wait for the website to talk to the database, because all like everything is just HTML and it's right there on the page. PHP is as slow as your server is, so like before the website can load, it has to know where the con- what the content is. So really, before it presents to you um, a front end it has to reach back into the database and then do something with it and render it javascript renders on the client side it can be that fast the other thing is like you could use i mean like you could use really advanced like programming stacks where you use the wordpress content management system and then like another build step or another like a node uh, application takes that content and then renders it into static content um so you could have a static site generator that's informed from a wordpress content management system it's a big deal because this signals to a couple of things to me and then um and then i'll shut up the the big news is that you don't in the future like right now right now immediately yes but in over the next year and beyond you don't have to know php to have a website that's powered by wordpress you don't have to it doesn't even have to be a wordpress theme but like your wordpress themes don't even have to be written with wordpress guts so that's a big move because there has been some sort of order to the system and that there's a proper way to write a WordPress theme and that's what a lot of that's what most themes are but now it doesn't matter you can write anything you can google angular themes and these are WordPress themes that are built with angular js the reason you know we're focusing on javascript here is because javascript is also the fastest growing and most ubiquitous programming language but, you know there are critics but you can write javascript to power robots and you can write javascript to power websites you know it's you find different flavors of it kind of like everywhere right you can write javascript and html css and javascript and compile it into objective c or swift or java so you can use these as your base languages to spin up the languages for apps so the natural direction of wordpress now that it's not it's freeing itself up from a php front end is the javascript front end and that's a big deal it means that with WordPress. WordPress can be the core for your content that powers really powerful websites, really powerful library applications that haven't been possible before, which is fascinating. So do you have any suggestions for like what a library application in this instance would look like? Where my day job is. Um, our site is a WordPress network that powers multiple different sites using kind of an older API. It's called the WordPress JSON API. So with this, we created, um, I worked on a project that some of you may have heard about, maybe not. It's called Library Learn, and this year it won the ACRL 2015 Innovation Award. And what it is is really a. I'm just bragging now. It's a it's a WordPress site where you post your videos because you know if you're an instructional library, like there's you might have distant students who aren't able to access YouTube. So so where you post your videos matter. Um, and if you have the budget for a huge product, you know Groovy. But if not, we you can use WordPress and other tools. So there's a WordPress instructional instructional video repository. Among its many features, um, the big one is that through the API, you can embed your videos 
in your libguides and you can embed your videos wherever you want and if you know libguides and your wordpress site are two very different things but you can have you can upload your word or your video to something and then you can embed it a million times on all these different guides and when you upload it or when you make a change and you update the video it will update wherever it's embedded the things like this create once publish everywhere systems are a given application for this you only need one place to host all your content and it can go everywhere you know anything that you have a little bit of control over like vendor things um, your catalog can with JavaScript reach into your WordPress site and display your hours automatically or again something that we're working on um, because we have this API already so we've been working with it for a couple years you type in cooking into the catalog and the there's a little JavaScript that goes into the WordPress event calendar and looks for cooking and if it makes a match it suggests the event to you oh you're interested in cooking we have this event coming up here is our database with all of our cooking magazines <laughs> you know, just things like that so this idea that libraries are so conditioned to dealing with their silos the silos that vendors provide that with something like WordPress or this API you can get around you don't get around that with PHP at least when you're working with vendors and stuff they don't give you server-side programming languages you get around that with JavaScript. Doesn't Matt Reedsmith talk a lot about this? I think he has recently finished a course about hacking your vendors. <laughs> like like vendors get like library vendors for our databases give you a certain amount of control, maybe templating control. And if as long as you can do things with JavaScript, you can change things around and especially with like jQuery. The first time I ever um, saw Matt Reedsma talk, by the way, he doesn't know this, if you're listening, Matt, it was at IUG, which is the conference that people who have Millennium or Sierra go to. He was talking about using jQuery to hack up the card catalog um, because the card catalog template like, really sucks. So stuff like that. And so he's teaching course in that. And I think he's writing a book about that, not to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, did some webinars. But notice, like that's, he says, you know, I, I said jQuery jQuery is JavaScript. The the through line here, this whole WordPress talk, some of you guys might not be like on WordPress, but if you are groovy, but the through line here, really, the real story is JavaScript. There was a tweet I retweeted by somebody that was every web developer needs to know JavaScript flat out. That's like, and it was it was something about like the JavaScript job market. I couldn't be, I couldn't agree more. Do you remember like the talk? I mean, I think we've even talked about it on the podcast the whole like controversy. Do librarians need to code? Yep. And I think we said, not really, but for the librarians who do code, the librarians who are doing anything with the web, anything, if you're using libguides, like, so I'm, I'm expanding this, if you write, if you type things in your libguides, if you use the web, if you create content, you really need to start thinking about learning JavaScript. JavaScript isn't going anywhere any soon, anytime soon, and now it's even more important to those of us who don't spend time building it, because now the most ubiquitous content management system on the planet, 25% of the entire internet, is now accessible to the wiles of JavaScript. I disagree, though. I'm thinking about the people who manage libguides, though that may not be their specialty. They may not consider themselves a web librarian. They're just the reference person who is getting ready to teach a class, and so they open it up, and it's like it's live journal, and they just paste it in. Oh, you're right. I agree. But if that person is in charge of any templating or anything like that, and I think that's going to be a requirement of more and more jobs. You may remember that a couple years ago, I was saying like, oh man, 
back then, it's like, we're seeing a couple of web services librarians, and now there's user experience librarians, and this is becoming a thing. And I said that two years from now, or whatever, which is now, that you're going to see robust dev operations that you're going like they're going to build departments of library developers there were just two jobs posted in new york public library and okay they're an outlier but where they go others follow right two jobs this week uh, application developers at the new york public libraries um and east carolina university i think just had a job because i see these through code for lib for application developer and i think this is really interesting there are devops teams the university of michigan has a really robust user experience department or something like it's got a much cooler name and i think it's i had to give them kudos it's really cool just as i thought that and i think others agree that i don't know 10 years ago you're required to know the microsoft office suite you can't get a job you know it's just part you can't get a job if you can't use microsoft word increasingly it behooves people to know a little bit of html a little bit of css because they're creating content first on the web and they're doing stuff like that. And that's just going to go for further and further. So like in another few years, it may behoove people to know a little bit of programming knowledge as well, which is going to be JavaScript. So question. I have heard people who are experts in our field say that they learned jQuery first before JavaScript because JavaScript is a hot mess. <laughs> I have been trying to learn JavaScript for four years, and this free code camp I was working on, jQuery was super easy and nice. JavaScript, I understand arrays and loops and blah, 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 but the actual coding JavaScript was a nightmare. So going with that person who I respect very much saying that she learned jQuery first, what do you think? That's how I learned JavaScript, too. And I kind of wanted to make this our topic because I've seen your tweets and I've seen a couple of the posts on our Slack channel, libux.herokuapp.com. I saw that you're teaching yourself JavaScript, which is the right decision, clearly, (laughs) because this is the topic of our podcast. And I wanted to hear about how that's going for you. Not frustrating? (laughs) Yes, very frustrating and enraging. Yeah, so I learned jQuery first, and jQuery is JavaScript. The little what happened to me, or for me, was that I started to pair the different things I got used to in jQuery to how they're done in JavaScript. But I used jQuery still. So you can use jQuery, and inside your jQuery, in the code that you write, you can put just regular vanilla JavaScript there, and it'll still work. Because they're the same thing. jQuery is just like a framework that makes it easier. Something like, and I'm going to refer to the dollar sign in jQuery as just the word jQuery. So you let's say you have a, this is this is code camp, LibUX. <laughs> I'm Michael with a man here. So you I'm could sorry. say, <laughs> add class of ketchup to the fries. So with vanilla JavaScript, JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript has something called a class list, and it's it's more verbose, right? So there's more JavaScript you have to write. But it's pretty much, instead of jQuery fries, you would have something called document query selector fries. But it's not that much extra. So document query selector fries dot class list dot add ketchup. There's a little bit more, but like that's, that's how I did it. I basically took the vanilla way of doing it, you know, in JavaScript and... I applied that to just a few parts where I was using that exact same syntax in jQuery. So then my jQuery became a little less jQuery, but like all the hard stuff was still jQuery. 
Um, and I still use jQuery for some things like Ajax and stuff, but it's a weaning process. And I still think that it's the right way to go. I think jQuery is so much easier than vanilla JavaScript. I don't think JavaScript is that much of a hot mess anymore. I think it's getting better because now you don't really have to worry about Internet Explorer 8 support. So IE9 Plus, the JavaScript is really nice. And you just you just wean from it. There's a website for those for, for you, Amanda, and also for everyone listening. You might not need jQuery dot com. It's that, it's that you might not need jQuery dot com. And then you can say like how do I add a class? And it shows you the jQuery and it shows you shows you the vanilla and it's really helpful reference. Is the U the letter U or is it Y O U? It's Y O U. So this was a good divergence. You teaching yourself JavaScript now is the right thing because you don't need it right now. But I think increasingly any of us who work on the library web stuff will. And it makes us that much more marketable. And JavaScript with WordPress, still the best content management system for its money, which is free, makes libraries that much more powerful. So it's good. You know, there's this whole trend is like, oh, let's let's fight for our rights from vendors and stuff. And the way you do that is to build your own shit. That's why you see not not just a single web service li- services librarian or whatever. You see a team of them. Whether that's two or not, that still becomes a team. And then increasingly, I think other departments that can, like here's where I'm going to make enemies, I think other jobs that can be automated by really cool JavaScript code um, or other programming languages, doesn't matter, will get automated. And those positions, as long as they're not just evaporated by the larger parent organization, those positions will either go into like instruction or outreach or into basically library systems. And systems, DevOps, whatever you're going to call them, will grow. My little note as we round this discussion out is I still keep in mind the teeny tiny one to ten people libraries that I freelance with. Even if big libraries and organizations can get into developing full-blown teams, small libraries are not not there yet. That's true. So that's that's the biggest thing. But let me put this for you. This will be our last scenario. And do you know what Boopsie is? Yes, we use it. Boopsie and other things are third-party vendor library apps or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Ballpark? Can you give me a range? Like, how much how much does that cost a year? I have no idea because it's not my project. Thousands of dollars? Probably. Okay. Take a, take a boopsie, your catalog, your libguide subscription. You know, like, you know, I love libguides, but, like, these third-party things, they, they cost libraries money. One thing that small libraries don't have, other than developers on staff, is uh, money. Like a WordPress website, you could spend that money, not on your own developer, but you could spend a fraction, the annual repeating costs on a developer, of which there are gajillions, like a like an actual one in your town, higher local, you know, that's what libraries do. And you can spend the fraction of that to build, you know, like if you feel like you need an iOS app or, or, or anything you want, you build something, build a website, build whatever. And that content, you can have a couple of apps, you can have a game, you can have your libguides and video repositories and stuff. All of that can be hosted for free on a $5 a month WordPress website with DreamHost. This trend of WordPress opening it up through its API, this trend that is going to lead to a little bit of familiarity with like like required familiarity for those who work on WordPress themes. So those like maybe not people who use them, but people who play with them in the in the back end. JavaScript knowledge is all pointing to a cheaper, more powerful library web presence. Yes, if they don't go with Biblio Commons, which uses WordPress and does not free. <laughs> so one thing 
like other libraries can do like who use like vendors with WordPress like if you can install your own plugin or if that WordPress that you're paying somebody else to maintain but you have like admin rights to it as long as it's up to date to WordPress 4.4 you can reach into your WordPress from a different thing and you can harvest all that content for yourself and then you could go somewhere else or or whatever <laughs> like you can create your own like HTML page somewhere and pull in the WordPress content onto that this has just been a very technical talk which is not really our MO this hasn't been a user experience heavy podcast it's been very news and programmer specific but it's important it's important news for the web it's important news for the web for libraries webforlibraries.com you know those of us who uh those those of you like who hung around for like the last 30 minutes know something that maybe you didn't know before well i hope you guys enjoyed listening to this i enjoyed talking about wordpress which is what i like to do i hope i'm not the only one (laughs) (laughs) you might want to have your own wordpress podcast someday (laughs) 